and welcome to today's episode of the London and Newcastle podcast. Today I am joined by Sean Gines, who is a writer, an editor, and a PhD candidate at the University of Michigan. Hi, Sean. So thanks for joining me today. And thank you again for taking the time out uh, of your day to chat with us. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to be here. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, um, your research and all of those things. Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm a fifth year uh, PhD student at Michigan State University in the English department. Um, I work mostly on post-war um, post-World War II, that is, science fiction, genre fiction, including fantasy and horror. And I also do some comic studies. Um, in addition to that, I work in what they now call Alt-Ac um, as the journals coordinator at Michigan Publishing, um, where University of Michigan Press is. So I have a day job and I write my dissertation at night, theoretically. Wow. Okay. So, um, yeah, you've definitely got a lot on your plate. Uh, when you say Altac, what, like, what does that mean? So as, um, as tenure track jobs have sort of, uh, begun to dry up, especially in the humanities, um, this has sort of led to a crisis of, okay, well, do people with PhDs who have trained to be scholars, do we, um, keep adjuncting for the rest of our lives, you know, making mm. three or $4,000 per class we teach with no job security, or do we try to figure out a way to be somehow engaged in the work of academia without being, say, a tenure-track professor? And so okay. Alt-Ac, um, which is often tweeted about under the hashtag, hashtag Alt-Ac, um, is just a way to, to try and recognize other opportunities um, besides the tenure-track. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So um, just like on the little bit that we chatted before uh, this episode, um you were just saying like about the, you know, the different things that you do and um, the publishing and everything like that. And the fact that the academic world in the States is so different to what we have here. I'm in Ireland and I have a, a little bit of knowledge about the UK. But just as you were speaking, that was really obvious to me because um, the, there is sort of the same uh, problem here. And again, with the humanities, it is, a, it is an issue. But um I guess people don't really, um, they'll kind of, like, I don't want to make, you know, sweeping generalizations, but people will sort of tend to give up or um, they'll be advised by uh, parents or um, even when they're in high school to take, to go for undergraduate degrees that are more, in inverted commas, practical. Um, So is that, would you say that's the same, like, do you think the numbers in the humanities is, are dwindling or um, because of these um, old act thing, you know, activities that you mentioned, do you think that um, people are still continuing to kind of push those uh, career paths, even though, you know, the, the tenure track professor, you know, the, that kind of thing is drying up? Yeah, I mean, that's a really hard question to answer in part because, um you know, you see all these articles and, and maybe it's just because it's a bunch of, you know, former English professors or people with English PhDs who aren't English professors writing them. Um, but you mm-hmm. see a lot of articles about how, you know, 
businesses would prefer to hire someone with an English major or BA than they would someone with a business BA. Um, with the idea that a lot of the humanities are teaching the kind of critical skills and critical thinking that aren't available. If you're just getting a cookie cutter business degree to learn the, you know, the same thing you could out of any textbook. Um, I mean, I think that there's always that fear, but luckily, you know, in my family history, I didn't have to worry about my parents pushing me to do anything specific, but I do hear that from a lot of people. Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of a something that's happening all over the world. The people just seem to be um like going in really large numbers to IT, um computer sciences, those kind of things. Um obviously doctors and lawyers, those are kind of jobs that you know um are pretty secure once you once you got your degree. But um I know it's an issue in Ireland and I'd say in the UK as well where uh, the numbers for the humanities are definitely going down and people are are really nervous about um what they'll do afterwards and uh, loads of memes I'm sure that you've seen uh, of like um working in McDonald's once you've got your undergrad and things like that so it can be kind of challenging to um look past all of those negative things that people are saying and say actually no this is something that I I'm passionate about and I want to do um so I don't know if you can uh, say anything about that like how did you come to uh, do a PhD in English and did you ever have these doubts yourself or were you pretty sure that this was something that you were passionate about and you didn't really care like you know you knew you'd find a job kind of thing oh man I mean <laughs> I knew I I would find a job is kind of one of those things that makes me sound like an asshole um, because <laughs> it was always like well I think I'm awesome so I hope I find a job why wouldn't I um so, I mean, maybe there is part of that naivete there. Um, and I've so seen so many academics who are, you know, many of them tenure track, some not tenure track, who really try to, to remind those of us who are PhDs or, or MAs who want to be PhDs, et cetera, um, that the job market really is quite dismal um, for tenure track jobs. You know, my undergraduate degrees are in anthropology and linguistics, um, and I didn't think about studying literature until my very last year of, of undergrad um, when I started reading science fiction and thought, wow, it'd be really cool to study this. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I got a master's degree in American studies, which is sort of a, a cultural history field that bridges history and literary or media studies. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I went on to the PhD in English and um, really, that's because, you know, literary studies today isn't just literary studies. It's a very broad field that is probably one of the most dynamic in the humanities in terms of yeah. the kind of work people are doing. Um, yeah. And so I think I've been quite lucky that I've been able to do all sorts of interests or, or pursue all sorts of interests and at the same time um, use those interests since I write about things like fantasy, science fiction, comics to then write for, you know, popular websites that publish on fantasy and science fiction. Um, so I'm not just writing academic articles, but engaging my interests in another way. Um, so that's kind of how I got to where I got. Yeah. Um, you know, the in terms of, do I see any hope for, you know, um, getting a job. I honestly don't know if I'll get a job because 
despite the fact that I have published quite a lot, um, that I edit two book series, that I um, that I am the editor of a journal. I don't know if that matters because mm-hmm. all of it is so um, context and moment specific, right? You know, yeah. if I go on the job market between 2021 and 2024, say I stay on the job market for those three years, um, the question is, will the job that is right for me be available during those three years? What if the mm-hmm. job that's right for me just got taken or is coming out in 2025? Yeah. Um, you know, it really is a gamble because it used to be that, you know, every department in English is going to have their Victorianist, their early Americanist, their, you know, two 20th century people. Um, but nowadays, as department budgets are shrinking, partly because of the, the problem that you've recognized of, you know, humanities um, students' numbers dwindling, um, as department resources dwindle, so do those different lines for fields. Um, so unfortunately, people in my field of generally 20th century American literature are probably the most common. Um, yeah. Just because I study science fiction and fantasy, you know, I'm not, there's no jobs that I'm applying for for that because that's not a job. Um, mm. <laughs> so I have to compete with people who are doing, you know, Hemingway and okay. um, yeah. Tony Morrison and, you know, all these yeah. other things. So, Which are so it's a gamble. Expanded. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Um, it's really interesting, actually, that you chose uh, science fiction. It's pretty, I, I mean, I want to say it's pretty niche. Do you get that response a lot from people? Um, I don't feel like it's niche only because almost all of the scholars I know in literary studies are talking about speculative okay. fiction in some sense. Um, yeah. And the reason why is just because um, so many people in literary studies are engaged in like teaching 20th and 21st century literature at at some level. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can't really do that without talking about speculative fiction, but also because, you know, we live in such shit times right now. I think people are talking about dystopia and utopia a lot more. So that's true. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think you can go to a literary studies conference or any humanities conference today and not see at least one panel on speculative fiction or, you know, whatever word they're using to not say science fiction. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder, so like, why do you think the term, uh, just to go off on a little tangent here, why do you think the term science fiction then it has not been accepted by academic circles? Like, why do they call it speculative fiction or, you know, every, every you know, all the creative terms they come up with? Why do you think that is? Um, I'm sure that for some people it's an attempt to not talk about whatever it is they imagine, quote unquote, science fiction is. You know, for them, maybe they're trying to say, we're not Star Wars or, you know, we're not teaching about um, Avatar or whatever. But even for me, I prefer the term speculative fiction, um, not as like in a, a way to trick literary studies people into thinking I'm smart, but, but because, <laughs> um, you know, when you start to talk about genre theory and how genres work, then you have to start to define things like science fiction versus Mm -hmm. fantasy versus horror. And then you get into this continual conundrum of, okay, well, it looks like Star Wars is science fiction, but they don't really explain anything in a scientific way. So if 
scientific explanations are a requirement for science fiction, then it's not science fiction. It's okay. what is it? So yeah. speculative fiction or SF as a quick, you know, um, two letter way to, to pare that down is to me just a better way to recognize that generic complexity is constantly to be grappled with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense actually. And um, do you think that there's kind of a um, still kind of a highbrow, lowbrow association, or do you think people have sort of come to accept that uh, it's still like a, a form of literary it's, you know, it's still to be appreciated um, as something to be studied, or do you think there still exists kind of that like uh, prejudice? Um, yes. <laughs> the, uh, in, it's a very complex, I think my answer would be a whole book because yeah. <laughs> like it is true that it, it really depends on who you're talking to, you know, and, and mm. because like some of them will think in terms of highbrow and lowbrow. Um, it's also true that we still have a literary market that, you know, tries to not say science fiction specifically because they're worried about genre, you know, lowbrow implications. But yeah. like, you know, most of the award winning books these days in literary fiction are clearly speculative fiction. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think that the any answer to that is going to have to navigate a lot of waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So I guess like what what I'm really dying to ask is how did you decide to go ahead and do a PhD? Because obviously, I mean, you said you're in fifth year. I'm not sure how much how longer you're expecting to to go before you um, finish your your dissertation. But um, that's a long time to dedicate uh, to something as well as managing a job. And I know you mentioned in uh, your emails that you have a family as well. So how did you like ultimately make that commitment to doing a PhD? Um, I think that, you know, for me, it was always a personal goal was, you know, I told myself in, in high school, the first time I ever did good at anything academic that, um, that, you know, what was my life goal? Well, I think I want my life goal to be, you know, the, the smartest person about some very specific thing. I don't know why I thought that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I'll ever be that, but, um, I just think that I always wanted to be a professor from that point on and okay. call it elitism, call it, um, an unnatural interest in, you know, the minutia of things, but I don't have a great answer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I think very differently about academic labor. You know, I do understand that the work that we do is work and that there are life work balances that are constantly being eroded by academia, which is in part why I took the job that I took in the hope that, you know, eh, maybe I don't want to be a professor anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that more and more, if you want to do academic work, you, you know, and have the time to to write, you, you do need a professor, professorship. So I don't have a great story about why I wanted to be a professor. I just mm-hmm. did. So it's something, yeah, I guess it's something that you realized really early on. Um, and do you feel like while you were 
doing your undergrad, did you ever waver on that or was it pretty much you knew it going in and, and then you just stuck it out even though your fields of interest changed slightly? I think even when I was in an undergrad, I think I was even more gung-ho about it because okay. you know, when I was an undergrad, I was trying to do all kinds of different things and people were, were saying, you know, the job market is terrible. You're probably not going to get a job. It's great that you want to do it, but you should think about other things that might make you happy. Mm-hmm. And I was just yeah. like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like you got a job, I could get a job. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty disheartening when um, people who are doing what you want to do tell you <laughs> that it's not possible. But yeah, it is, it is really disheartening. And it is something that happens all the time. It happened to me recently as well, where, and it's true. The thing is like, you can't deny the facts about it, but um, it happened to me recently where I went to a meeting about um, the possibility of doing a, um, a PhD here and the professor was just saying look like the the reality is that women in academia it's still you know it is what it is and there there aren't that many jobs available as professors and and I kind of went away going okay but I still want to do it like you know and I, I don't think she was trying to in any way like um discourage me from doing it not at all I think she yeah. just wanted us to the ones who was there at the meeting she just wanted us to be really aware of the realities um but it can be pretty disheartening especially if it's something that you know you want to do um yeah it's it's kind of like you know being a kid and and wanting to be you know a prince or a princess and realizing that you aren't in the royal family <laughs> yeah you know you have to you have um, to come to that realization. <laughs> I you know for me it it is weird because when I was in undergrad and even in my MA program I was just you know in that situation you're in where you're kind of like looking for okay how do I get to where you are and the person who is answering is like don't come where I am it's terrible here yeah. you're not going to get here um, and now I think I recognize that as kindness because. The truth of the matter is, and this isn't me in any way saying to anyone who's listening, whether you or anyone else, like, don't come into academia or don't try, but it fucking sucks. (laughs) Um, Like, and and lots of things in life suck because we live under capitalism, but, but it can be so heartrending to constantly be working, to constantly have emails to catch up on, to constantly know you need to write this and that no matter how good you do, there's more to read. And you do sometimes wish you could just have a life where you go to work, you come home and you do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't want to discourage anybody, but, but that's just a reality that you have to be willing to live with because that's the labor that is required unfortunately. Yeah, I I think, you know, that is feedback that um, I've had from a lot of people, both uh, who have finished their um, PhDs and who are currently like yourself or or about to finish or halfway. Um, It can be all consuming. And the, I experienced this just in a really small way with my um, undergrad thesis. But, you know, where you get into this um, black hole of information where you realize I'm never going to reach the bottom, you know, and you start yeah. to sort of you, the like in the beginning, the learning curve is really steep. And then you start to catch on and you think, OK, I'm getting a handle on this. And then the more you research, the more you realize, 
wow, I know nothing. And that kind of carries on and you can like spiral downwards definitely just Mm -hmm. in this feeling of being so overwhelmed by the amount of information. Um, And I've heard that it doesn't get better necessarily (laughs) uh, with time. So I think it can, like you said, it can definitely be this like all consuming thing. Um, So how do you cope with that? Like you mentioned, you have a family, you have um, other commitments outside of your job and your research? Like, how do you manage all of those things? I mean, that's an important question that I think everyone has to wrestle with in a completely different way. Um, Mm. You know, I know academics who go home and just don't talk about academia. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that's just because their partner isn't an academic or they just don't want to. But, you know, I, I write about science fiction. I write about it both academically, but also for popular audiences, and I consider myself less an academic than a a critic. Um, Mm. And so for me, what I do is always around me. That's a personal choice, just because that's what I like. And that's Mm. how I'm how I live. Um, For other people, it's it's different. You know, I also have a partner who reads a lot of science fiction, who is an academic and a PhD in philosophy. So we talk constantly about academia. but you do have to set boundaries for yourself. You know, on Friday nights, we don't do any academic work. We just watch movies together. Okay. You know, on Saturday, we have movie night with the kid. Um, you know, we, we rarely do academic work. So it's about setting boundaries. It's about knowing who you are and where you want to be. Um, you know, lots of goal setting. I have tons of spreadsheets for, mm-hmm. for different kind of yeah. you know, things that I want to accomplish and how I can accomplish them. Um, it's just really a lot of planning and um, also having good mental health support, um, whether that's in the form of a therapist uh, or just close friends to talk to who also share these, you know, problems or yeah. can give you advice. You know, building networks of support is incredibly important. And I don't think there's any good one size fits all um, answer other than to, you know, think seriously about what works for you. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because everyone's limits also are, are kind of different. Like some people can, you know, um, manage a sustained period of time where they're coming home from a work, like a a full-time job and then studying in the evening. Whereas for other people that, that, you know, that's a lot and that's a lot to ask. So Mm -hmm. I think that what you said just about um, establishing your own rhythm and routine is really important and realizing also um, when you're getting sort of to the very edge of, you know, your margin. I noticed that uh, with myself again, only in an undergrad so I can just imagine that it's a million times worse when you you know are then in a an MA or a a PhD but just realizing okay I'm not sleeping because my mind is racing with ideas and oh I just had a great point for that thesis or um we did in particular an essay on um, literary criticism that was really tricky and like for a week I couldn't sleep because my brain was just trying to unravel this like it was like a riddle and then you realize after that like okay I'm going to get this essay done but then after that I know that I need to take a few weeks I need to you know focus on other things for a while because I'm I'm losing the you know the the balance here so I think like for uh, you know for everyone it will be different um and also just realizing okay 
I'm definitely overdoing it because I think what can happen is that you can burn out. So, I mean, I don't know if you've, have you found that in the five years, like that's a long time to commit to a project. Um, do you f- ever feel like you're, you know, at, risking like a, a burnout or getting bored or anything like that? Um, yes and no. I mean, the American system is slightly different than, I think from what I've heard, it's slightly different from the UK um, and from Europe, um, where, you know, for the first two years, we typically take coursework. And then for the third year, we do our exams. And then from year four on is when we're writing our dissertation. Or okay. Project. Yeah, that is different. So I haven't, yeah, so I haven't had to think about this project for those whole five years. Um, I've really just been thinking about this project for the past year and a half. Um, and for me, I need to be thinking about and doing a lot of different things just because I'm the kind of person who gets, I mean, quite frankly, bored if I just think about one thing for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that also explains why I do so much is just because I have a personal interest in all of those things. Yeah. And again, that doesn't work for everybody. You know, I know people who have gotten tenure track jobs having published just two articles um, and a few conference presentations. And, you know, it might look like I'm trying to be a crazy overachiever, but I just enjoy what I do. Yeah. Um, Burnout is certainly a thing. I mean, there are days and weeks where I just don't want to do anything. Um, That's why taking care of mental health is important because academia has an incredibly high rate of um, people with mental health problems, especially, you know, things related to depression. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'll just be honest and say that, that I definitely have that. I definitely yeah. suffer from those issues. Um, and it doesn't help when you're in a culture that is based on being smart, right? Mm. And you're thinking about, okay, well, how do I say the quote unquote smartest thing so I can get published or get recognition? Mm. Um, and so that can also feed into mental health, you know, problems and, yeah. and then make, you know, make you stay up all night thinking about, you know, literary theory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, you know, and everybody's going to have to handle those issues in, in their own way, but uh, I've yeah. already forgotten what the original question was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it is, no, you're right. Like it is tricky when you're uh, in a sort of an, in an environment that where um, people are vulnerable to that kind of thing. And um, just to make sure that you're looking after yourself and not getting, um, so distracted by everyone about around you and what I have noticed just from what you've said um, and from what I know myself uh, just from like looking into some programs it seems extremely competitive um, in the states like not only to get in but then just to get you know the recognition and everything like that it's like it's like you're surrounded by these people that are you know, like there's always going to be someone that's more ambitious and uh, that seems smarter and all of those things. So I've, I've been pretty lucky in the sense that, um, and I, I won't say for the whole of Ireland, I'm in just a really, a pretty small city myself. Um, so it's not that people weren't competitive. It's just that the course was small enough that there was, there was space for everyone, I want to say. Um, but I think, I mean, I don't know like what your thoughts are on this, but I think when you're surrounded by like really highly motivated ambitious people that can be pretty draining as well um for a sustained period of time definitely especially if you feel like their motivation is something that you constantly have 
that you constantly feel as a challenge or that you constantly think they mean as a challenge because you know you can walk into a room and be just happy old you and then everyone else is you know sees you as a challenge so everything they do and say is like an attempt to to i don't know one up you and that alone is you know exhausting even if you aren't trying to do it back to them right yeah so having to put up with everyone else doing it even if you aren't um can be quite exhausting Mm -hmm. and i will say that you know once you're in a phd program um and I, I, this is a, something I always say to people when I'm talking about publishing um, as an under as a graduate student. But like one, getting into a PhD is not hard, and two, publishing is not hard. There are enough PhD programs out there and enough journals out there that you can get into anything or, or something. I should say mm. whether or not the PhD program you get into is the right choice for you based on what you want to do with your PhD is an entirely different question. Just like you can get published anywhere, but will that publication matter in the long run is a different question, right? Um, But I think that from the outside looking in, it looks a bit scary, but once you're inside, you know, sadly it's, it's one, it's an insider game, but once you're inside, it's not scary and you'll realize that, um, that you didn't have to be as worried and that you were good mm. enough all along. Yeah, I think that's actually, you've touched on something really interesting. I think there's definitely like that sort of concern of, do I have what it takes? Am I going to, you know, is anyone going to look at my application and think, oh, that's good enough? Or is everyone, am I going to receive like 10 rejection letters in a row, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, that's that's really interesting what you said and about there being enough programs. Like what would your advice be to someone like me who is trying to get in somewhere, um, what would you say? Um, <clears throat> don't go to a PhD program if they're not going to pay for you to go. Okay. Um, I know that, you know, most programs in the U.S. are fully funded and will give you a stipend either because you're on a fellowship, meaning you don't have to te- teach or because you're teaching for that semester. Um you want to apply to programs that upfront tell you that they are fully funded because it's basically a ripoff not to be funded. Um, even being funded at a generous level of, say, 25000 a year, which is very difficult to find programs that will pay you that much, even that is below poverty wages, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know. If you can't find a program that will give you the fun, the meager funds to live barely, then do not do a PhD, you know, wait a year and apply again. Um, So that's kind of my first, you know, don't put yourself in financial ruin in the future to get a degree that, and and that's the other thing. If a program isn't going to pay for you, it probably doesn't have the recognition to get you a job later. Mm-hmm. Um, because unfortunately, we're still dealing with a market where having a Harvard PhD matters more than a PhD from my institution by virtue of name. Mm. Um, you know, my CV might be better than a Harvard student's, and maybe I could get a job over that Harvard student. But the fact that they're a Harvard student is still going to say more to some people. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the first consideration. The second consideration is... Um, do they have professors in your area who um, you would want to work with? Um, 
which is something you can do by looking at faculty profiles, um, looking up the professors that, you know, the work of whom has really influenced you uh, in your work and just seeing where they teach and whether or not they have a PhD program there and whether or not that would fit you and who you are. Um, looking at whether, uh, actually looking at the most recent course list for graduate students um, and to see if they consistently teach courses that you'll want to take because sometimes departments will go through phases where they'll teach on a certain area because you know the faculty doing that are just really engaged for those three years but then a year later you know there aren't any classes on say empire and colonization Mm -hmm. um just because the faculty who would have taught those maybe they left or they just stopped teaching grad students because that happens sometimes yeah um you know i think picking a list of departments based on those you know kind of first considerations i've mentioned and then really learning about them by kind of learning everything you can from their websites. Um, and I think, I know you've seen my um, example statements of purpose, yes, but one of the yeah. things I try to drive home in there is that you need to be specific about why them. Um, and in part, that's because they sh it shows them that you've already kind of invested some mental energy in knowing that they're worth your while. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess it makes sense to do that you know, all of those things, not only just to get in, but for your own sake as well, to make sure that you're, you're choosing um, a university that's a, a good fit and that you'll be happy at, you know, it's a big yeah. decision and it's a long-term decision. So there's no point rushing in head first. Um, so I guess it's yeah. really important to do, you know, that background check. And, and it's it, definitely, and it's also worth, if you can, I mean, you can, because, you know, everyone uses email, reaching out to the graduate director or to current graduate students, or even to the professor you would hopefully want to advise your dissertation, right? And reaching out to them and saying, hey, I'm a prospective graduate student interested in X, Y, and Z. Um, what can you tell me about your program? Or are you still working in this area? Or what should I be looking at at the university in order to to think about if this is a, a good fit for me. Now, you know, most of the time at most major programs, grad directors and, you know, the famous professors are getting hundreds of emails a day. So you might not get a response, but there are lots of weirdos out there who respond to every single email <laughs> and you might get a response. I've gotten a response from Noam Chomsky. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there are professors who respond to everything. So yeah. it's it's worth reaching out to make that personal connection because um, the other thing is that the website is just a marketing tool and it might not, the, the program, the university, the culture of that department might not be anything like the message they send they are. Um, you know, you could be, you could think from their website that they're the nicest, hippest, you know, coolest place for an up and coming literary student interested in X, Y, and Z to be, but you get there and it's just a, a shambles. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, there's no guarantee and no special way to find that out. But if a department does invite you to come for a meeting in the spring, um, usually departments will invite prospective graduate students and sometimes they'll even pay for their flights and hotel. And if they do that and you have the time, it's worth going 
to get a sense of the dynamics of faculty and students and to kind of hear the gossip to make sure that it's not secretly a toxic place. <laughs> yeah, Nori, that's definitely, that's really good advice, I'd say, definitely. Um, that's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about all of these things. Um, I would like honestly just love to hear more uh, but our time is up so um, thank you again and um, best of luck with the rest of your dissertation yeah no problem good luck uh, applying to graduate school thank you for listening to today's show I hope that you found it useful and inspiring if you are considering doing a PhD yourself if you did enjoy it don't forget to leave us a rating on your app where you listen to podcasts until next time bye